I don't think consumers differentiate between 85, 95, and 90. People only differentiate between zero and hundred. At the top, there's only room for one, right? I believe in India, 80% of celebrity usage in advertising that I see is not thought. Creating is easy. What to create is a million-dollar question. Hi, you're listening to Marketing with Vani, in which I speak to marketing gurus. Together, we decode how marketing works in the real world to grow your business. Rebranding, one of the hottest topics in marketing, and yet terribly misunderstood. It's not about having a prettier logo or a catchy slogan. Rebranding is all about careful strategic change. If brands want to stay at the top of their game, they must refresh their image or risk becoming as relevant as a cassette tape in the age of streaming. In this episode, Vani explores this fascinating topic with Lulu Raghavan. Lulu is a brand and design evangelist who's worked on rebranding companies like Mahindra, Monster.com, and many more. She shares insightful pointers on the do's and don'ts, the highs and lows, the triumphs and the tragedies of brands that dare to reinvent themselves. Lulu, thank you so much for being on this show. And I thought it would be lovely to talk to you about rebranding in particular. And I want to ask you, in your opinion, why do companies even choose to rebrand? Like what might be the circumstances in your experience that companies have chosen to rebrand? And of course, even in rebranding, there are degrees to rebranding, right? I mean, one can change just the graphics or one can change the logo or one can change the name of the company altogether. Thank you, Vani. Firstly, fantastic to be connected with you again. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Also, really appreciate you shining the light on rebranding. Vani, you and I know, but I think a lot of people in the business world still don't know how incredibly powerful brand is as a tool for driving business transformation. Almost every company today is undergoing some form of transformation and some of them understand that the role that brand can play in that transformation and some don't. To answer your question, why do companies go through a rebrand? When is it relevant? Three main reasons. Number one, a lot of time companies have made progress in the business. They've made great strides, but the brand is lacking in perception. The brand may not be perceived by external stakeholders the same way in which the business might be perceived. So really ensuring that the brand catches up with the success in the business and leads the progress is super important. A good example, there's Mahindra. You know, Mahindra had made great strides of progress as a company. And the first time when they rebranded around 2012, the brand was actually still seen as quite fuddy-duddy or more traditional or more rural rather than urban. And so that rebrand was to broaden perceptions of Mahindra and to truly ensure that the brand reflected what the business was about. The second reason, Vani, is to signal a change in offering. Companies are constantly looking at their product, their service offerings, and sometimes they're making significant shifts. And when you make a significant shift and you want your customers to reappraise the business, Sometimes a drastic change, name, identity, the whole suite of signaling needs to change. 
A recent example is we worked on the rebranding of Monster.com to Foundix. And the change there was them going from just being a job portal to a global talent management offering, actually. So, you know, when you're changing so drastically, a name change, an identity change, messaging change, and a whole experience change is required. And then the third reason I would say is to appeal more strongly to a very focused target audience. Recently, we worked on the rebrand of Edelweiss General Insurance, and they rebranded to Zuno. They wanted to come across as much more tech savvy, more focused on the millennials and the younger audiences. And they wanted to communicate a passion and energy, a simplicity, also transparency and ease of doing business, which the previous brand was not communicating. So those are the three reasons when the brand needs to catch up and lead the business to signal a change in the offering. And thirdly, to appeal more strongly and to be highly relevant to some new focused target audience. Fabulous. This is really, really fabulous. So those were great examples, Lulu. What I like, like about those all are also in the case of Mahindra, for example, the name hasn't changed. In the case of Mahindra, it was a logo change. Am I right? Yes. And mostly look and feel. In 2012, the identity changed quite a bit and the millennium mark which was very much for automotive was not used at the corporate level and at the business unit level and it was kept just as a badge for automotive so there was a change in what the company was trying to signal this time around in 2022 october when they did a rebrand and we were very lucky after 10 years to have done the rebrand again, we mostly only looked at the look and feel of the brand. So looking at just the graphic representation across all of the touch points. But there was a slight evolution of the mark, but a very new, simple, more sophisticated, much more progressive, modern look and feel. Rise has been something that Mahindra has stood for for so many years, but the meaning of Rise, the context of the world in which we live in now, where sustainability, climate change, just so many more issues, and Mahindra is straight up there, right front and center, and tackling all of this, they needed to be seen as far more global, far more driving the agenda of corporates today. So that was the reason this time around. Lovely. And in the case of Monster.com, they changed their name itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was, what was the brief like when the brief came to you? And then just talk to us a little about the briefing process in itself, because isn't this a huge learning for founders, for marketers, for companies at large to understand why the correct brief is most important and that it's important to spend time on the right brief. It's, it's really important. And I've always felt when the business strategy is not clear, sometimes you go round and round in the rebrand. Also, I think if the burning platform or the case for change 
is not well understood internally, then also you go round and round, right? So in this case, they were very clear that they were transforming as a business and therefore they decided on a wholesale transformation. And were they worried at this stage? Because Monster.com is a name that had familiarity, right? I mean, there was a time Monster had done this huge, big blast campaign. I mean, at at one time, they were very, very visible. And Monster.com is a very well-recognized name. And then they, they had the courage to change the name itself. I'm sure that would have been a big decision, no? Yes, it definitely was. When they came to us, they were already clear on the need for the name change. But if you look at this, they do have a transition strategy where they say they were formerly monster. And I think that it's bold and courageous because the shift was significant and getting a new generation of job seekers to understand the shift without completely changing is also difficult. So I think they saw this as a great opportunity to be a completely new brand, which could then have greater longevity rather than always being stuck by the perceptions that Monster had. So if you actually look at the identity which we created, you have Foundate, which has a beautiful identity. You know, the O of Foundate has many singular lines, which is all about the path of to possibilities. You know, this this whole brand is about showing a new generation of job seekers the possibilities from a career perspective and formally monster in capital letters. So there's no way you can miss it. And all of their communications and the ad campaign designed by Wonderman Thompson also really made it clear. And, you know, they are primarily a, 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 a web-based business. So the transition of the equity in monster to found it should be fairly easy. Fantastic. So in that sense, they're not worried about losing their existing consumer base or not being able to take forward the brand recall in a sense. They're not losing that because they're now enabling all of their current consumer base to comfortably learn that, oh, now Monster has changed to found it. Fantastic. And I would think that Exactly the same would apply even for Edelweiss, isn't it? That's also a very bold decision to move from Edelweiss to Zuno, you said. Yes, yes, Zuno.com. And if you had looked at the previous Edelweiss General Insurance EGI website and now you look at Zuno, it's a completely different way in which you are speaking to your consumers. And so here too, it was it was a bold decision. We worked with them for over a year. And I remember in the initial pit stages, there's a lot of questions on, do we take the Edelweiss brand forward? Do we not? And at the end, again, here too, they made a courageous decision. Here, they don't even have the transition. It's a It's a completely fresh start. It's Zuno.com. You would have to Google to know what the company was previously. This is fantastic. I must say there is a world of a difference between the way Edelweiss used to come across as a brand to me from just graphic entity. You know, if you would just look at the logo and the, the colors, the typeface, the little icon they've used versus what it is now, it feels... Like the company has radically changed. Like the first feels very business-like. It feels serious. Blue is the the color of finance and and money and straight jackets and all of that. And then suddenly Zuno has this zingy 
Absolutely right. And they do have a line right on top, not tied in with the identity, Vani, but right on top, it says formerly known as Edelweiss General Insurance. So there is a transition strategy, right? But we make things easy, no mumbo jumbo, super fast claims, tech me further. So the whole feel, the look, the voice of the brand, you're making the promise to the consumer in a very, very different way. I, I always think of brand as the interface between the business and your consumer. If you see it that way, it becomes a very important two-way communication channel. And I think some of these rebrands show that if you do it right, the intent of how you want to communicate and the promise that you want to keep to the consumer is very evident from every touch point that you're managing. Lovely. So Lulu, talk to me a little about just the power of visual design, visual entities, the fact that I'm looking at different logo, different typeface, different colors, different icons, the way the brand comes across to me in just its visual identity. We say that of all the senses, our eyes are the most powerful. Our eyes have the maximum impact on what the brain processes of you. In the world of design, when we change the graphic identity of a brand, it leads to an immediate reappraisal of, of that brand, good, bad or ugly. Talk to me about just the power of visual design, which sometimes a lot of us founders grapple with and we wonder, why can I not get a cheaper designer? And it's and cheap is not a bad word, but I'm saying sometimes one doesn't understand why it is such serious business. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to go into the way the brain works. And especially today, Vani, we are just bombarded with messages from hundreds and thousands of products. Visuals have a way of cutting through that somehow words don't have. That's why they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And so those brands get that can really tap into the power of visuals and the power of design to have that first impression with the consumer to reach out, to tell a story, I think are already on their way to start to cultivate a relationship with that consumer. What uh, PNG used to call the first moment of truth, and now we even have a zero moment of truth. We all check out people and companies online first, right? Before we do business with them or we meet them. And so the, the power of that first impression is super important. And I think this is where design, graphic design, digital design can play a huge role in starting the storytelling around your brand. Fantastic. So Lulu, over here, what was the kind of internal discussion like? Like if if we had a view, like a fly on the wall in the internal discussion on what might have taken place in Edelweiss, give us a little peek of that. I think it starts with aligning around what is it that we want to stand for. 100%. Yes. With the leadership team, when you do a deep dive into how are we perceived, how do customers see us, how do our employees see us? What's the opportunity in the marketplace? And in the case of Edelweiss General Insurance, they are a more tech-savvy general insurance player. The CEO was, she was really 
pained by the state of insurance today in India, especially health insurance. You know, and she narrated herself examples of how when you actually need it, it's so difficult to deal with insurance companies and to get your insurance claims. And it's at the time when you're most vulnerable that there's no empathy, there's no transparency, there's no ease from the insurance company. So there are brands out there who have simplified insurance, but Shanai Ghosh, who is the CEO of Edelweiss General Insurance, she wanted to create a brand that was simple, transparent, had huge doses of empathy in the customer experience and communicated a certainty of helping the customer. So the singular focus on the customer and then designing the whole customer experience in a way that the customer has certainty and assurance that the job will be done. In the visualization, the color palette, the way in which the website has been designed, all of this is there to subtly communicate the ease, the simplicity, but also the fact that this is a company that's going to get it done for you. Brands have a lot of work to be done. It's not just a communication campaign. And especially in a category like insurance, I would say rebrands are difficult because it's easy to rebrand visually, easy to put a campaign out, but you have to live the brand day in and day out. And that's the responsibility of the CEO and their management teams. Fabulous. Over here, you made some very important points, Lulu. One you said was that they're always listening to their customers. I loved what you said. So one of the points that you made, and I'll come to the second, is that one has to be listening. And in order to listen, it's also some form of consumer and customer research, isn't it? So tell me, was there in this process, especially because you said that Edelweiss took almost a year for this entire process, was there an element of research involved? Yes, yes, absolutely. Especially when you want to change perceptions, it's important to know how you're perceived today by the stakeholders. Therefore, the degree of change and the job to be done is clear. In the case mm -hmm. of Foundit, for example, when you're going from monster.com to Foundit, when your strategy is fundamentally changing and it's driven by the desire for the new brand to reflect a new strategy, sometimes it may not be required. But where you could do research is when you have different options for the rebrand, and you get a real sense from the market on which of the different ways in which we could possibly rebrand. This is an area which we call brand performance. Brand performance as a practice has grown for us hugely over the last, I would say, five to seven years. And Vani, especially the large global organizations who want certainty in decision making, will ensure that they have very, very solid data on how potential solutions might impact the affinity that customers have, their preference for the brand, their desire to purchase. I see this is going to be a growing area, especially with the digital tools that will be available increasingly and the costs will come down as well. I think all CEOs and their teams doing rebrands should invest in when research like this. Fabulous. This was really helpful. Superb. 
Lulu. And tell me the second thing that you spoke about was that rebranding is a very big decision. It's not just about the speak and it's not just about the see, which is we've had a change in our visual identity, but now what? I mean, we're signaling that we are a new kind of a company, then the customer must also experience what that new kind of a company is, isn't it? And so one of the things you spoke about earlier was about how the CEO stressed on the need to now do things differently. Yes, absolutely. And this is the biggest challenge that we have in the business because a rebrand is not about just a name change and a logo change. In fact, that's just the last stage. It's fundamentally about reorganizing how you're going to market. So the starting point should be the customer journey to understand all the touch points, the stages of the journey where the business interacts with the customers and thinking about each of those touch points through the lens of the promise. So if I were to take the Zuno example, if it's all about easy breezy, surely the website, their call center, the email communications, their insurance policy, everything has to reflect that. So sometimes the company may take a year or two years to be ready to deliver that promise before they go out and say that, hey, we're now new and shiny and different. Companies should pay attention to entirely ensuring that the customer experience reflects the new promise. Beautiful. Fantastic. So in this process, Lulu, in your long years of experience, are there typical mistakes or typical watchouts that one must keep in mind while rebranding? Brilliant question. I think the starting point, I've always found the projects that are more successful. And I'll just say projects because I'm sharing this from my experience of having done hundreds of these projects. The ones where I've seen the light of day is where the burning platform for the change was very clearly understood by the person initiating it, whether it's the CEO or the marketing head and the entire leadership team. So the case for change, everyone agreed that, okay, we need to change. Where we've struggled, it's been the project of the CEO or the project of a marketing director of, oh, I don't like our logo. I think we should change. And it ends up being a bit of a vanity exercise. And not everyone agrees that the organization needs to go for a rebrand. So one, the case for change, the logic of it, and buy-in by the CEO, the board, and the entire management team is absolutely critical. There are lots of projects which start without it, and frankly, they don't see the light of day because someone somewhere will say, this is a bad idea, let's abort it. So that's number one. The second, the meaning of the brand needs to be established before you start tinkering with visuals. And this, again, sometimes companies don't pay enough attention or they think it's just us doing our job. But, you know, fundamentally, Vani, you'll agree with me that brand is business, business is brand. So how you define the brand and what it stands for and the associations you want to imbue with is critical CEO level work. Yes. So that, that part of it, alignment around who we are today, who we want to be, and therefore what's the brand strategy that's going to get us there is super critical. The third is having all these work streams to then reflect it. 
reflected in the product and service delivery, reflected in the way the culture is, how it manifests for the customer experience, and then, of course, reflected in the communications. But what I see companies make a mistake, there's a lot of focus on, okay, how do we communicate this to the external world, which is the refresh of the visual identity and some campaign, but not enough on all the other bits. Some CEOs are really good about it where they'll say, our culture has to reflect it, our products and services have to reflect it, our physical environments, our digital environments have to reflect it. So let's not go ahead until the new meaning is deeply coded and embedded in the DNA of the organization. But others will want that quick win of the external push and external communication. So I think that the third piece is really important where you seed it very, very deeply. And then I would say the fourth one is just the energy and enthusiasm about living it every day. You now signed up for this. It's not just a launch campaign. It's something that you have to do day in and day out until the day you're no longer that company or brand, right? This is fantastic, Lulu. I got so much out of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and Vani, that's where I think we both and a lot of us still have a big job to be done because I don't think CEOs understand that brand is a very valuable, intangible asset on their balance sheet. It is an asset that has to be continuously nurtured, enhanced. The value has to be grown because when that happens, the impact on the business is huge. All our research shows that brand is 30% of enterprise value and that strong brands beat the index. If you look at the BAV chart for decades, strong brands or the index of strong brands has beaten the S&P 500, the MSCI World Index consistently. And what's interesting, Vani, is if you look at 2008 when the Lehman crash happened and then COVID as well, the index of strong brands dips less than the market index. But when things come back, it comes back stronger and really pulls ahead. So there is very, very solid financial evidence of the value of brand. And I just wish more companies understood brand is not about colors and logo. It's fundamentally a strategy to shape how the business is perceived and perceptions have real financial value. Fabulous. Absolutely. Measuring the success of rebranding, is this a discussion that you've ever had with any of your clients on how do we know if what we've done is the right thing to do? I mean, of course, the fact that we've all been involved, chances are everybody would want to pronounce it a collective success. But is there any way that or any metrics that you take on yourself or that the company takes on itself to measure equity metrics? There's formal and there's informal measures. The informal measures is just what people are saying about the rebrand, what you're hearing from customers, the kind of feedback that you're getting. So that's an informal mechanism. From a formal point of view, we at WPP and Lando and Fitch, we have a tool called Brand Asset Valuator, which is the world's largest analytics platform of brands. It's a study that's been done for more than 20, 30 years. In fact, Lando invented it in the 80s. And then we were bought by Young and Rubicam and Young and Rubicam was bought by WPP. Now it's a WPP tool. I'm quite proud of this tool, Vani, because BAV 
shows us what exactly you need to measure. And there are four pillars. Every brand can be measured on differentiation, on relevance, on esteem, and on knowledge. And differentiation and relevance make up the brand strength of the brand in question. And esteem and knowledge make up the brand stature. And all of these are plotted and we have something called the power grade. And you can clearly see where in the life cycle of the brand, in the life cycle of the business, the brand finds itself in. Is it more niche or undeveloped? Is it a power brand or is it starting to fade in relevance? And what's really interesting, Vani, is that differentiation and relevance are leading indicators of the state of the business. When they start to decline, you know that in a year or two, it's going to catch up with the business. The thing about esteem and knowledge is that they're lagging indicators because consumers can still perceive, be knowledgeable about your brand and to have some level of esteem. You won't know that the business is not doing as well until you actually see differentiation and relevance. So these are the four metrics that we advise our clients to pay attention to. Let's take Mahindra's example. When they rebranded 10 years ago, they wanted to be seen as global, as progressive, as socially conscious and innovative. And so these are the four measures that they put in their brand equity tracks. And they can see for over a decade how the business has moved on all these measures. And I think that's very, very good input to the management teams as well. Fabulous. So you're saying basically map the equity measures, whatever the tool you use, do a before and after and see whether you've been able to move the needle on the desired equity measures. Exactly, exactly. I think sometimes people shy away from tracking because they don't want to see the state of it. But I think you should embrace it because it gives you a good signal on what's the job to be done. Have we indeed moved the needle on innovative and socially conscious and progressive or do we need to do more? So I think it's it's useful and the more diligent companies do tracking and do something about what they learn from the tracking. Fabulous. Thank you so much for this, Nulu. Sure. This episode was brought to you by Cherry Peach Plum. Vani and her team of marketeers and problem solvers at Cherry Peach Plum help businesses solve a wide range of growth challenges by utilizing proven marketing playbooks. Get in touch with us via cherrypeachplum.in if you want to take your brand to the next level. I hope you liked my show. And if you did, please do consider subscribing. I also have a YouTube channel by the same name, Marketing by Vani. Please do check that out too. Thank you. <laughs> How badly could you screw up one line? <laughs> okay.